History Makers. I'm your host, Matt Prater. Today we're speaking to the leader of the Australian Christian Lobby, Jim Wallace. He's a former SAS commander and he's got some great stories to tell. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. Now, Jim, I've heard you speak at uh, a few breakfasts before and you're very big on the topic of leadership and you certainly like to uh, make sure you let people know your beliefs and your value system when you like to uh, uh, present your message to audiences. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, your background? Whereabouts did you grow up? Um, Were you brought up in a Christian family? How did it all start for you? Well, uh, no, I wasn't brought up in a Christian family. Uh, I had a great family, uh, but uh, they were not Christian. We were extremely poor. Everyone seems to be grabbing onto that this day, these days, but uh, we really were. We got washed away in the uh, floods down in Mullumbar uh, a long time ago, and as a result of that, never really got out of it. Uh, we lived in uh, one stage, for instance, in a migrant hostel for two years with my mother and, and sister in one part of the hostel, which was the family part, uh, and me sharing with another man in another part, and Dad coming back and uh, sharing in the single room with my mother and uh, sister when he came back, you know, so it was an ideal uh, sort of um, upbringing, I suppose, but uh, but nonetheless, you know, I, I got through, my parents stayed together, and so I'm very lucky, you know, as I look at it. Mm. There you go. Now, uh, tell me about how you got involved in the army. Yeah, no, I actually volunteered, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people were trying to avoid the ballot at that stage, because Vietnam was on, but I volunteered. Uh, I went to uh, Duntroon. And uh, I uh, amazingly had my conversion in my first year at Duntroon. I'd gone back on leave and my uh, friends, or some of my friends, had become Christians and they tried to convince me, you know, that uh, I needed Christ as well. And I'd always, because I suppose of this uh, poor upbringing, you know, I'd always believed that you've got to get on and do it yourself. You know, you couldn't have excuses for things. And uh, I'd been very much a person who was about, I suppose, being self-made in many ways, you know. And uh, at that stage, I was in the army. I found something again. I was doing well. I was, uh, uh, you know, shooting along quite comfortably there. And uh, and so when they presented this to me, I, I said, no, no, no. I said, look, you guys need a crutch. I don't need a crutch, you know. And uh, one of them said, and in fact it was a girl, I always hate it when a girl tells you something, you know, smart, but it was a girl and she said, uh, she said well, look, we can't convince you of, um, of Christ, you know, uh, but she said, if what we've told you is true, and if Christ really did come down from heaven, gave up heaven, you know, and walked on earth as a man, mere man, and died this incredibly painful cross, uh, sorry, death on the cross, uh, in order to win you this great prize of salvation, and he sees you now rejecting that great prize which he won for you at such great cost. She said, don't you think he'd be weeping over your rejection of that great prize? Now, I went back to Duntroon. I didn't think much of it at the time, but I went back to Duntroon. And for three months, I just could not get out of my mind this image of Christ weeping over my rejection of this prize that he'd won at such great cost. And so finally, just in the privacy of my room, I got down on my knees and uh, in the barracks, you know, and uh, actually invited Christ into my life. And of course, Christ just took it on from there. Mm. Now, what changed in your life after that moment? Well, I, I think the, uh, the thing is that uh, I, uh, I suppose I came uh, a lot more confident, funny enough. But I think more than that, and what Christ has really meant to me is that uh, Christ is the actual maker of this vessel, you know, this car. And uh, he knows how many gears it's got. He knows what it can do in each gear. And if we put our hand in his hand, then he'll take us out to uh, where the car's comfortable, but performing the best, you know. And I've certainly found that uh, in my life that God's taken me to places that I don't believe I could have ever gone by myself. You know? um, when I was a very young kid, about four, I think it was, uh, I had uh, crooked legs, you know, and I had uh, my legs in irons and big clumpy boots, you know, uh, for, uh, I'm not sure now how long it was for, but it was certainly for a year at least. 
And uh, if someone had said to my mother, oh, this fellow's going to command the SAS one day, I mean, she would have laughed her head off. Um, she would have laughed because she didn't know what the SAS was, too, of course. But, uh, <laughs> but still, it's, it, it would have seemed impossible, you know. But, uh, you know, God's taken me to the point where I've uh, commanded the SAS. I was um, shooting through my career. I was... So he's taken me places I couldn't have expected to go. Yeah. And, and he's given me great confidence in situations, uh, and peace more, yeah. in situations where you wouldn't expect to get peace. Um, I had one experience when I was uh, in the United Nations in Lebanon. I was uh, an unarmed observer of the United Nations. It's uh, a bit of a dumb job, unarmed observer. It's like being the referee in a real battle, you know, and you run in there unarmed and sort of hold up the yellow card and say, stop! <laughs> and, of course, uh, in, in Lebanon, as people will have seen from pictures, you know, people aren't conducive to stopping. Mm. And uh, But one of the jobs we had to do, though, I was in a, uh, a little uh, fort or a little team that was in a fort, uh, old French fort, and we were... Um, protected by armed UN soldiers mm. and we're in the middle of the Palestinian refugee camps near as many of your listeners will know the old biblical town of Tyre or Tyre and uh, uh, one of our jobs was that when the refugee camps were uh, were bombed uh, we would have to go in and report on the bombings you know the, um, the Israelis would bomb or shell the refugee camps and uh, this isn't a comment on the Middle East it's a very complex uh, place a very complex issue and uh, uh, on one occasion, we were off talking to the Red Crescent. They're like the Red Cross, you know, and we'd often go and talk with them, liaise with them to find out uh, what had happened in their view around the place. They obviously went to where the casualties were. And so if we'd missed something, we, we would follow it up. And mm. uh, we were in talking to them, and two shells landed in a nearby refugee camp. You know, mm. this sort of happened every day, but mm. two shells landed in a nearby refugee camp. And uh, I heard them take the call, so I knew there must have been casualties. And uh, I said to them, well, what happened? They said two shells, uh, one killed an old man, one hit a car in which a mother and daughter were uh, driving and killed the mother and daughter. And knowing that we had to report these things, they said, uh, you know, you come in with us and, and you can report them. And uh, so in those circumstances where we couldn't actually affect anything by going in there, you know, we would simply uh, wait for 36 hours, go in there, and knowing that the emotion would be out of it, find out what happened and report it. But uh, these fellows uh, said, uh, no, look, uh, they knew our, our reason for not wanting to go in. They said, no, no, look, you come in with us, you'll be safe. You know, now it's like me saying to you, I'm from Canberra, trust me, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, stupidly we did, and we followed these fellows in, in our little UN vehicle. And uh, when we got in there, 1,500 people, angry people, you know, angry people, uh, sort of got us out of the car, jostled us uh, around and uh, jostled us into our meeting hall in the centre of the town. And as I'm going up the steps of this meeting hall, a young boy, I think he's about 14, I suppose, came over and he grabbed my sleeve and uh, he pulled me down the steps and the car in which the mother and daughter had been killed was just near the steps and uh, the bodies were gone but the uh, blood was still on. And he got my hand and he rammed it into the blood, see, and he was saying, yeah, this is your fault, mate. You stop us getting in there but you don't stop this happening to us, you know. And so things weren't looking good, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, we were taken into this, uh, jostled into this um, meeting hall and uh, there were about 30 prominent men of the uh, refugee camp were sitting around on a low concrete seat that they usually have in these sort of places in uh, the Middle East. And uh, we were sitting there very solemn, you know, the, uh, they were all playing with their worry, worry beads, you know, and I fell up and put my hand up and say, could I have a set of those? <laughs> <laughs> and off in the corner, uh, there was another door which led into a small room where there was a uh, meeting of a sort of executive, I guess, of about mm. 10 people who were deciding whether or not they'd execute us, mm. you know, uh, in retribution. Mm. And, uh, and only a matter of months before, uh, two um, Irishmen had been executed in similar circumstances. Mm. So it didn't look good. But um, I must admit, I, I felt completely at peace. And I, it's not because I'm terribly brave. It, it was simply that I remembered that we have a big God. 
and uh, and our faith is for those times mm. when we are in. Mm. And uh, and so I, I just uh, remembered back to the uh, verses in Isaiah uh, Isaiah 40, uh, where we're told, you know, that uh, that our God is big. He can hold the waters of the world in the hollow of His hand. He can scribe out the heavens with the span of His hands. And I love that one because every year the uh, scientists tell us there's more heavens, and God says, "No worries, I've got them all." <laughs> span of the hand. Yeah, know? yeah. So this is a big God, you know, and uh, and we've got to trust in Him, you know. And I also learned that day another lesson, you know, and that was that. Uh, um, God didn't send in legions of angels or the SAS regiment, all of which he could have done to save us. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but what he did was he changed hearts. And uh, after uh, some hours, God changed hearts. Mm-hmm. And uh, after some hours, uh, they actually let us go. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, I learned a lot of lessons then. Yeah. You know, I learned that God's big. Yeah. I learned that he doesn't always operate the way we think he's going to operate or we would conceive him to. Um, but uh, he is a crutch mm-hmm. when we need him. Yeah. And uh, we all need crutches. Jim, you've certainly got an amazing story. You've gone from uh, leading soldiers and chasing down the enemy to leading politicians and chasing <laughs> down the enemy. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your role now uh, with the Australian Christian Lobby? Uh, what is the Australian Christian yeah. Lobby and what do you do there? Well, Australian Christian Lobby is a lobby, not a party, you know, first thing, and it's non-party partisan, so uh, we work equally into both sides of Parliament. We think that uh, what has happened in America, where the Christian constituency is lined up with just one side of politics, uh, is a mistake, because if you line up with one side of politics just on a, uh, a tactical point of view, you know, they'll, they'll never give you everything you want, because they know you're not going to vote for the other side, and when the other side gets in, they'll trash everything you just got, because they know you're never going to vote for them, you know, so tactically it's wrong. But also, I think theologically it's wrong, because the reality is that uh, throughout, particularly the Old Testament, we're told that in matters of governance, that God expects governments to govern with righteousness and justice. You know? Now, these two things are not intention, and yet we tend to align righteousness with the right side of politics and justice with the left, You know, but these things aren't intention. And so the Australian Christian Lobby tries to bring a constant uh, a constant influence into Parliament, into both sides of politics, and uh, you know, praise God, we've, we've been able to do that. Uh, sometimes unilaterally, uh, we've managed to achieve some amazing things. Um, I uh, was able to negotiate one on one to get the amendment to the Marriage Act, you know, that made marriage between a man and a woman, and we've saved it again a couple of other times since. Um, we've been able to have a big influence on, for instance, uh, the issue of migration, uh, because at one stage there, the uh, current opposition. Was was, uh, was saying, well, why don't you introduce a bill that uh, said, well, even if you're found to be a refugee, we won't take you. You know, we, we can't do that. You know, so, so uh, on both sides of politics, uh, we've been able to, I think, have a positive influence. But most importantly, we believe that uh, we've got champions in politics who, who are people who do represent Christ. There. And we as Christians can't just stand back and let them go. We, we've got to get in there and support them. And that sums up really the biggest thing that the Australian Christian Lobby is about. It's about trying to get this constituency of and of course you saw that during the last election where we held that debate between uh, or, or discussion between Howard and Rudd you know, it was televised to 100,000 people that put the Australian Christian constituency on on the board, you know, nobody could deny it was there mm. and uh, we've seen more recently in an uh, analysis of the election mm. that uh, an independent analysis has said, you know, that will place significant constraints on the Rudd government in what its policies are. Now see that's where, what we want to get to, we want to get to the Australian constituency being recognised as one that uh, it's his views must be considered, you know, and his views and values can't be run uh, rampant over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Jim, I'm just so uh, excited about what you guys are doing. Uh, if people want to support you, uh, what's the best way to get in contact? Is there a website? Yeah, yeah, there is a website. It's uh, acl.org.au, and uh, if people just uh, Google Australian Christian Lobby, they'll find us. You can join up there. I'd really encourage you to join up. You can join up for nothing on, on email. Yep. We'd love you to give us a million dollars a month if you're able. That'd be fantastic because uh, yep. this is a, you know, it's obviously got to be a professional interaction with Parliament. And I think that's one of our problems in the past is that Christian advocacy has not been professional in its interaction with uh, politics. And uh, obviously that costs money. So, you know, if people can support us, that's great. But mainly we need numbers because yep. politics is about numbers. That's wonderful. Now, mate, lastly and probably most importantly, there might be people listening to this that are thinking, you know, I don't know how to get close to God. I don't know how to become a Christian. What do I do? Mm. Would you speak to those listeners and mm. tell them, you know, what, what's your advice to them about how to get close to God? Well, my, my advice would be to simply ask God the question that uh, if you're real and, and, and if you really want me to uh, give my life to you, reveal yourself to me, mm. you know, mm. because he'll always answer that question. Mm. And when I was in my great muddle trying to consider what these friends mm. of mine had told me, confused by it, you know, um, I just simply prayed that prayer. Mm. And, of course, at every turn that I had in the next three months, you know, Christ appeared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it isn't up to you or I yeah. to convince him. It wasn't up to my school friends to mm. convince me. They sow the seed. Mm. But uh, Christ reveals mm. himself to us if we simply ask him. Mm. Well, Jim, thank you so much, mate. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Matt, and God bless you with the show. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on History Makers. If you'd like to hear this interview again, just go to historymakersradio.com.